Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show we'll be discussing sleep disorders with Dr. Andrew Bradbeer. Andrew is the lead physician and medical director at Sleep Health Group, working as a specialist in respiratory and sleep medicine in Western Victoria and the southeast of South Australia since 2004. He also supervises a network of sleep centres and home sleep testing locations throughout the region. His clinical interests range from acute respiratory disorders such as asthma, lung cancer and COPD to all aspects of sleep medicine. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you, Simon. Good to be here. Can you start by explaining to us what normal sleep is and what we should be reasonably expecting? As with most health issues, there's a huge range of what would characterise normal sleep. People like to know how much sleep they should be getting, and in general, healthy people will get somewhere between uh, seven and nine hours. There will be outliers. Some people will function well on five or six hours, but they're few and far between, and likewise, people who need to habitually get more than about nine and a half hours usually have other health problems. Uh, And then normal sleep uh, doesn't necessarily have to be going to bed, closing your eyes and not waking up till morning. People uh, can wake up overnight, uh, certainly wake up once, that's quite normal. Uh, People can sometimes take a while to get to sleep, but if you're regularly taking more than about half an hour, if you feel like you're regularly taking more than about half an hour to get to sleep, uh, that's uh, probably a problem. Um, There are various stages of sleep we go through, so it's quite normal to have bits of the night where you feel like you may be just dozing and semi-aware of what's going on, Uh, but there are, of course, other stages where uh, you'll be completely oblivious um, and anyone walking into the room would uh, have trouble knowing, uh, you know, whether you were alive or not if they looked at you um, and and you were soundly asleep. Uh, Normal sleep can also have uh, other odd things going on during it, so it's almost normal for uh, older people to start to snore a little bit when they're asleep. That doesn't mean it's necessarily healthy, but uh, lots of us do snore as we get older. Uh, And then some movement during sleep can also be normal. So how common are sleep problems? Sleep problems are very common. Uh, They become more common as we get older, or at least most of them do. Uh, So around about 30% of Australian adults will, at some stage, have trouble with insomnia, trouble with going to sleep or trouble with staying asleep through the night. Uh, By the time we reach old age, uh, at least half of us are snoring. Uh, and a significant number of us have a problem called obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, Smaller numbers will have trouble with being excessively sleepy through the daytime, Uh, and many people will have had issues that have upset their body clocks through their life. So, for example, children that slept poorly or uh, a shift work job that you might have had to perform for more than six months uh, may upset your body clock and leave you struggling with sleep difficulties uh, for the rest of your life, in fact. Are there any other common causes of sleep problems? Yes. Yeah, so as we get older, the more, I suppose, normal common causes of sleep problems would include other health problems, uh, particularly problems that might cause you pain or discomfort, simple things like arthritis or injuries, um, and medications. So there are medications that are used for a range of other problems, including mental health disorders, uh, which will impact negatively on your sleep. Uh, So these are are very common things. Um, And then there's just the sort of behaviours that we might all engage in that we know are probably not good for our sleep, but we do them anyway. Um, That would include the things we like to eat and drink. Um, Consuming too much alcohol or too much caffeine can have a negative impact on your sleep. Uh, And 
uh, watching too much television too close to bed uh, or watching too much television in bed indeed can have a negative impact on your sleep. Of course, these days, television is a bit of an antiquated term. Most of us are just watching our phones or iPads and, and that's the, the problem. How would someone know to seek help? Mostly, this is about quality of life. So if you feel that you're unhappy about your sleep quality, uh, and mostly that's characterised by you being awake when you don't want to be, uh, usually overnight, uh, or not being awake enough when you do want to be, so usually during the daytime, um, then then that's the sort of situation where you should seek help. You should ask somebody who might have a good perspective on this, and that would often be a GP, but it might be a friend or colleague. Uh, you should ask them about it and just mention it. Just say that you're having trouble staying asleep or you're feeling too sleepy through the daytime. We also would see a lot of people who would come to us because other people report that they have trouble with their sleep. So classically, the person you want to sleep with doesn't want to sleep with you because you snore too much or you move or do other funny things in your sleep. Or alternatively, it might be people you want to travel with. So we see a lot of older people who may be living alone, but when they want to travel with friends are told that they really need to get their own hotel room because they're making too much noise during their sleep. And so those would be the, the, the real the flags, I suppose, for most people. Are there actually any cures for snoring? That depends, Simon. It depends very, very much on individual factors uh, and also how bad the problem is. I mentioned before that we all start to snore. Well, we don't all start to snore, but numbers of us do start to snore as we get older uh, and we can't turn back the clock. Uh, some of us snore because of the shape and structure of our face. Uh, so if our lower jaw is a bit recessive and small, then that can predispose us to snoring. Uh, or in fact, if our nose is a bit obstructed, then that can predispose us to snoring. Uh, and uh, occasionally, those sorts of things can be corrected with an operation if it's a bad enough problem. Um, more commonly, as we start to get older, we also start to put on a bit of weight and lose physical fitness. Uh, and those things contribute to snoring, uh, as does excessive alcohol consumption and cigarette smoking. Quite often, there are lifestyle factors that can be modified to stop us from snoring. Uh, we can work at improving our physical fitness. We know that if we can do that, uh, quite apart from whether we lose weight, if we are making sure that we're getting our two and a half hours of moderate to high intensity physical exercise per week, uh, then we're less likely to be snoring. Uh, if we can lose a bit of weight, well, that's just the icing on the cake, so to speak. We also know that a lot of people will snore when they're on their back and not snore when they're on their side. So sometimes uh, learning to sleep in a new position can fix the snoring problem. Uh, but apart from those sorts of interventions and the occasional person who can have a surgical cure, which is uncommon, uh, mostly it's not a matter of curing it uh, as much as controlling it. Sleep apnea is a common condition. Can you explain what it is and how it's detected? Yes, yeah, certainly. There's a spectrum of degrees of severity of snoring problems and sleep apnea is at the more severe end of the spectrum. So the reason we snore is that our upper airway changes when we go to sleep. The muscles around our throat have a range of different complicated things that they have to do when we're awake. At the moment, we're talking, and that's thanks to the muscles in our neck. We need to be able to eat and to look around, and there's none of that really happening at night time. So these muscles relax, and our upper airways become more narrow uh, when we go to sleep as a consequence of that. So we're breathing through a narrowed upper airway, and sometimes we have to suck harder to get the air through, and that's what causes a bit of vibration and the snoring noise. But if that upper airway muscle relaxation is so significant that our throats become too narrow for us to be able to breathe easily, that's 
obstructive sleep apnea. The effort we have to put into breathing at that point can start to disturb our sleep. And we may actually not completely close our uh, throats over. So that's uh, by definition what an apnea is. An apnea is a cessation of breathing. And so an obstructive apnea is when the throat closes over. We may never get to that point, but we can still have obstructive sleep apnea if we are struggling and failing to breathe properly because of a narrowed upper airway at night time. And that is then leading to disturbance of our sleep. So the way that we treat uh, or control obstructive sleep apnea is all about overcoming that upper airway narrowing so that people don't have to struggle to get air through that narrowed upper airway while they're asleep at night. So what are the treatments for sleep apnea and at what point would you seek treatment? The, uh, the, treatments for, the main treatments for obstructive sleep apnea are CPAP therapy, uh, so continuous positive airway pressure therapy, or alternatively we also use dental devices, a devices called a mandibular advancement device. So your mandible is your lower jaw. The idea behind these devices is if your lower jaw can be held forward slightly while you're asleep, then the tongue comes forward and relieves that upper airway obstruction. But by far the most common uh, treatment that we use is CPAP therapy. So when someone's on CPAP, uh, there's a little uh, machine beside the bed that's an air compressor effectively and delivers air at increased pressure to the individual with sleep apnea uh, by means of a little mask that sits over the nose or sometimes just inside the nostrils. It's uh, certainly very commonly utilised treatment these days and most people who come to see me with a sleep disorder will have some familiarity with CPAP therapy and many will have put off coming to see me for a long time because they think that CPAP is the last thing they really want to use. Uh, But CPAP is the most reliable form of treatment by a long way for people with severe obstructive sleep apnea. For people with more moderate problems, there are other considerations, but for people with severe obstructive sleep apnea, uh, it's almost always the case that CPAP therapy uh, should be utilised. And people will be prompted to come and and see us and should come and see us to talk about the possibility of obstructive sleep apnea, Uh, certainly if they snore and have been told that they stop breathing in their sleep, uh, or if they snore and are told they wake up if they snore and wake up feeling unrefreshed uh, or are sleepy through the course of the day. This is, this is such a common problem, particularly amongst uh, middle-aged and older blokes. Uh, but women increasingly start to develop obstructive sleep apnea as they get older as well. So it's such a common problem that really I think anybody uh, middle-aged or older should be asking the question, could I possibly have this, particularly if they're feeling a little bit run down and tired. The other situation where people should think about it is if they have some of the health problems that are associated with obstructive sleep apnea. So I said before that for most sleep issues, uh, the reason for looking for uh, help is because there's diminished quality of life associated with poor sleep. And that's certainly the case with obstructive sleep apnea. But we also know that Untreated severe obstructive sleep apnea is associated with a range of other health problems, including heart attack, heart failure, stroke, diabetes, um, and also risk of accident, particularly risk of motor vehicle accidents. So it can be a life or death issue for some people. And if you have got uncontrollable high blood pressure or have had a heart attack, but there's no clear risk factor for that, um, or you have a heart rhythm problem such as atrial fibrillation, These sorts of things are so commonly associated with obstructive sleep apnea that you really should be assessed for that condition. If you are middle-aged or older and you have type 2 diabetes, you should really ask your endocrinologist whether you might have obstructive sleep apnea because the incidence amongst people with diabetes is really very, very high. Insomnia is another common sleep disorder. Can you describe what this is and the symptoms of insomnia? 
So insomnia is difficulty uh, with being asleep when you want to be asleep. And it might be that you have difficulty initiating sleep. So initiation insomnia is the problem where you go to bed and you just don't fall asleep for a while. Uh, and then there's uh, difficulty maintaining sleep. So maintenance insomnia is where you might go to sleep well initially, but then you wake up and through the course of the night, you're awake when you would rather be asleep. Uh, and the impact of insomnia varies dramatically from person to person. Uh, some people will be quite happy to be up for a couple of hours overnight and then go back to bed and get the rest of their sleep and not be particularly bothered. Uh, yet others will uh, be immediately conscious of their obligations the next day and be very stressed by uh, being awake overnight when they when they could be asleep. The uh, prevalence of insomnia is, is, is enormous. So most, so probably 30% of Australian adults will suffer insomnia at some stage of their life uh, for long enough that, that it bothers them. Uh, often it's a short-lived problem, often triggered by a situation uh, that causes significant stress or by a health uh, problem. Uh, there's probably a few people suffering from a bit of insomnia as they wonder uh, what the future holds with regards to their jobs uh, or their health in the uh, current environment of the COVID pandemic. And for most people, things settle down as that stressor dissipates. But for other people, they can have trouble sleeping more than three nights a week for over a month uh, and the problem becomes more entrenched. Usually I would recommend that people don't need to think about seeking help if they've got a short-lived problem, but if it's been dragging on for a few weeks, then it's certainly worthwhile having a chat to your GP about it because it can be the case that the longer this problem goes on, uh, the more difficult it is to correct. What are some of the treatments that, that you or a GP might recommend? Often it's important to address behaviours that might exacerbate the problem. So while insomnia is often triggered by an event, uh, or an illness, there are other factors that you can control uh, while that event and your response to it may be uh, to a greater or lesser extent outside of your control. There are other things that you can do that you can control that will uh, increase the likelihood of you sleeping well. So that's when you need to be really rigorous about the sort of behaviours that might upset sleep. Make sure that you keep a good schedule, that you get up at the same time every day, that you go to bed around about the same time and that you have a routine that you have uh, at bedtime that gets you ready for bed. Uh, make sure that you don't drink excessive amounts of caffeinated drinks. You don't have a coffee in the afternoon uh, and that you do get good amounts of physical exercise and you eat well. All of those things will make it more likely that you will sleep well at night time. Uh, it's important to reserve the bedroom for sleep only. So don't be watching devices. Don't even be reading a book in bed. If you're in bed but not asleep, don't stay in bed. You know, get out of bed even just momentarily, and then go back to bed and try to sleep again. Uh, but the next level uh, above that is a much more professional psychological involvement, and there are psychologists who are very helpful at delivering uh, strategies, therapies for people to sleep better, particularly cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia. Uh, very, very occasionally a sleeping tablet can be helpful for a short period of time, uh, but they are usually uh, reserved for people whose insomnia is resistant to the sort of strategies that I've, I've just mentioned. Uh, and I should also mention that often people feel that they can't sleep well at night time, uh, but it's not necessarily insomnia, it's more of a problem with their body clock. So if there's a history of shift work, or if it seems that someone gets a normal amount of sleep at just the wrong times, then we can intervene with other treatments such as uh, light therapy or melatonin to try to shift their body clock. Um, 
and that may sound a little bit funny, but I guess what I mean is that, for example, older people will often find that they go to sleep much earlier and then wake up in the middle of the night. But I've seen uh, seven, yeah, many people in their 80s who would tell me that they have trouble with insomnia. That's what it seems to be. But when I dig down into what's going on, I'll find that they're going to sleep at about 7 o'clock at night um, and then waking up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and they can't get back to sleep. Well, they've already had uh, their, their eight hours sleep by then uh, and they don't need more sleep. It's just that they're awake at the wrong time. It's not exactly the same thing as insomnia, but it takes a little bit of thought to figure out what's going on in that sort of situation. So you definitely suggest exercise as one of the ways to improve insomnia? Exercise and eating well are very clearly related to good sleep. And the three of those really form the pillars of good health. So if we want to be healthy and remain healthy and productive uh, for as far into our lives as we can, that's just... Uh, without without question, we need to be exercising well, eating well, and sleeping well. Can you explain what a sleep study is and why someone would choose to have one done? So we um we we toss about the term sleep study, and there's a number of different ways to study someone's sleep, uh, and some of them are more intensive than others. But when we talk about a sleep study, usually we mean monitoring someone for one night uh, to get as much information as we can about what's going on with their body while they're asleep. Uh, so we can figure out what might be contributing to any sleep disturbance. Usually when someone has a sleep study, they sleep with a number of different leads connected to them, but it gives us a lot of useful information. And it's funny that people often feel, well, how will I sleep with all that stuff on? Uh, and People are mixed. Uh, some people sleep really well uh, and others do struggle to get to sleep. Uh, these leads all connect into a little unit and we can do these tests at home uh, or we can do them in a sleep centre. Um, and so they're, they're really the, the, the differentiating uh, factors between the sleep studies that, that most people would encounter. They'd either do them at home uh, or, uh, or in a sleep centre, and there are advantages and disadvantages to either approach. So what happens once a sleep study is done? Uh, so once a sleep study is done, there uh, is a, an enormous amount of information to look at, uh, 12 leads of uh, data being collected all night for one person. Uh, it takes a little while to go through. So after that's all been done, uh, we upload that information onto our computers and one of our sleep scientists will study all of that information, will look at it and organise the data uh, and then pass that on to one of our sleep physicians who will uh, review all the data and then interpret it in, in, in that patient's situation. So it's one thing to have all that information to look at, but we'd also need to, then to, to reconsider carefully what the problem was that the individual might have come to us with and see whether the sleep study gives us some answers as to why the person might be experiencing those difficulties. Um, most of our sleep studies are done overnight, uh, but we do do some sleep studies in the daytime and usually they are done to assess why someone might be excessively sleepy in the daytime. Andrew, where can listeners find out more about this topic and keep up to date? Uh, so there's a lot of information available online, but I'd encourage people if they want to find information that, uh, that we think is good to, to go to our websites, which are um, uh, www.sleephealthgroup.com.au. But there is also a range of other good information if you uh, just Google some of the key terms like insomnia or uh, obstructive sleep apnea. There is a National Sleep Foundation as well, which, um, which provides some very good information online and usually comes up pretty high on it on a Google search of those terms. Dr. Andrew Bradbeer, thank you very much for joining us today on the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Thanks for having me. 
It's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBA V Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality. Healthier together.